Welcome to For Good Measure, an interview series celebrating diverse composers and other creative artists, sponsored by a grant from the California Arts Council. I'm Nanette McGinnis, Artistic Executive Director of Ensemble for These Times. In this week's episode, we continue our conversation with Nicholas Benavides, who we spoke to in October 2021. What has it been like being a composer during the pandemic? Has it been difficult? Or have you had positive experiences? I had a lot of things that were scheduled, premieres that I was excited about that got canceled, which actually isn't, isn't the bad thing. That's okay. I understand and, and agree with that. I think they should have been canceled. Uh, it's been really hard to really, I think, write pieces that, I think everybody's felt the pressure to write music that responds to this time. And there's... It's, it's almost like self-defeating, right? Because you're writing these things that respond, but they take time to do. So you're trying to capture in lightning in the bottle in that one moment, but pieces take weeks to write sometimes. And I, I found myself sort of tripping over myself as the pandemic and as the new cycle changed, it was really hard to keep the same, same flow of thought going from one moment to the next. Um, I think the things that, you know, it's it's been tough, but the things that I've really learned are, you know, thinking about, how audiences consume um, our concerts. I was supposed to have a CD release party of my one act opera in the spring. And of course that couldn't happen. And luckily we were smart enough to record footage of the recording session. And so that video is now up. We spent a week editing it together. My wife, who's a, a, a rock star video editor and just saying, you know what? Like it doesn't need to be a live performance or anything special. It just like a video of the recording session with different camera angles will be enjoyable with the full audio quality. Um, that was a good experience, but of course, very difficult to do. Um, I wrote a piece for guitar, just plugged straight in and with a few effects. I was very intimate. And I actually think that piece would not have been as successful in a concert hall, just because it's fun to see him up close with his hands. Everybody has the same seat in the house. Um, I wrote, uh, I'm writing another few solo and chamber music pieces. Um, I wrote a piece for two melodicas that had like these weird video editing things, you know, just pieces that just wouldn't work on stage. I think writing a, a sinfonietta right now um, doesn't really make sense. Trying to write electronic music that uses MIDI instruments to sound like an orchestra is just, it's just unsatisfying. Um, and I think, you know, I'd love to say that I, I, some people were very productive that I made an album of electronic stay at home music, but I didn't really, I, I, I really just spent a lot of time just trying to play catch up and figure out what people are even doing uh, and then just plan for the future. What are your current artistic goals and your vision for yourself? Right now, I just want to survive the end of my doctorate. <laughs> <laughs> I actually have some projects that are coming up that I'm really excited about uh, that play into what I want to do. So I think ultimately, you know, my ultimate career goal would be to, to, be a composer who writes full grand operas. Um, I just love the spectacle of it. I love the big stage. I love the audience. I love the full sound of the orchestra. I love choreography and costumes. And, um, you know, I don't, I would love to write a symphony, but I don't think deep down I'm going to be the best symphonist in the world. I, but I think I, I resonate with stories. I think I do my best work there. So as a career goal, I would love to eventually get there where I can write full operas. Um, and, and right now I'm doing a few projects that play into that. Right now I'm working on an opera for Music of Remembrance, 
which is the same opera company that commissioned um, a few operas by like Jake Heggie and Gene Shear, Tom Chapulo. They had something recently come out by Saba Aminikia and Mary Kuyumjian. Um, so they were really, I think, dynamic company. Um, they were founded on remembering the the fallout and the, the the really terrible legacy of the Holocaust and and making sure we don't repeat those mistakes. And over the past few years, they've pivoted to also start to think about stories of people who are displaced, uh, refugees, um, uh, people who are tr- seeking asylum, for example, just basically people in need who don't have uh, many avenues. Uh, to go for help. And so they commissioned Morella and I to write an opera about the border crisis, uh, Morella Martin Cook, my librettist. And our opera, Tres Minutos, is based on a real policy by the Border Angels, um, well, built in conjunction with the Border Angels and the U.S. government, where the U.S. government allows them to open up the border at a certain place for a set amount of time. And it's for people who can't cross the border one way or another. Maybe they have a ban on, you know, they can't get a visa. Um, and they're given time to just touch, hold hands, hug. And it's almost like a fairy tale. They're generally given um, three minutes per, per group of people, which is in a way generous, but in another way, it's kind of cruel. It's so short. And so our opera focuses on two siblings, one born on this side of the border, one born in Mexico, who grew up together, and one of them is deported, and they get this chance to meet. And the, the opera is a 45-minute chamber work about what can you achieve in three minutes? What does it mean to share blood, to share lineage, to share parents, uh, and to not share a home or a location? You know, um, so that I think I'm really excited about that project. And I'm also working on a dance piece um, for the Glimmerglass Festival about tractors, not even about New Mexico. <laughs> so uh, we'll see how that goes this coming summer as well. I'm really looking forward to that. As a composer who has been based in both LA and San Francisco. How do you find that the two cities' different cultures have contributed to your musical inspiration and experience? I really don't think I would be who I am um, if not for living in San Francisco for, you know, what, a decade or so. I, there's something about, you know, like you read about so many artists, like, you know, I don't know why I'm drawing this example, but like Gertrude Stein going to Paris, you know, there's something about finding yourself in a place that's not you. Um, something distilling about it. And I think, I don't think I would have appreciated being New Mexican so much if not for slowly becoming homesick as I lived in this glorious city that I adored, but it wasn't really home. It was the closest thing I could get aside from New Mexico. Um, And, you know, grappling with what it meant to be me. Uh, And then I got a double shot of that when I moved to LA because suddenly I had no friend circles. Um, I had nothing else. And I moved to LA for my doctorate and I just arrived and I was walking the streets, a complete stranger, like really just nobody but myself. And LA, I love San Francisco, but LA in many ways is a much more multicultural city these days. Um, And seeing people just in the streets speaking Spanish, you know, going to markets, uh, interacting with people that felt, to be honest, culturally more similar to New Mexico uh, than San Francisco did, uh, was further distilling and refining and further shocked me into place. Uh, the opera Pepita was partially based on, very loosely based on um, me and, and my librettist, uh, the protagonist Camila. She's someone who grew up in a place that is not known in the opera, but where she speaks Spanish. Um, she's Latina. And you, you ascertain from the opera that she m- misses where she's from. She's a little homesick. And she's been like hardcore pursuing 
her career. She's a lawyer in this case, but someone who went to a university, got a, a high education elsewhere. Uh, and this dog, Pepito, really sorry. My dog's actually my literal, do- literal dog's name is Pepito, and he keeps coming to the door when I keep saying that. <laughs> but um, however, this dog, Pepito, sort of brings back her her uh, desire to reconnect with that sort of wakes her up and reminds her like, oh, this is where I come from. Um, no matter how, no matter how fancy of a school I go to, I can't take that away. I can't ignore it. Is there anything else you'd like listeners to know? All these topics that I'm exploring, uh, not as someone who's a, a, a professional in the field, but if you want to explore with me, I have a lot of writings on different blogs. Um, I care if you listen has hosted an article by me. I've also contributed to Gabrielle and Frank's blog about just being New Mexican and learning how to write that way. Um, so I encourage folks to check that out. Um, and if they want to listen to the opera that I referenced, Pepito, there's a free video on YouTube um, that people can listen to with the recording session. I'm conducting the recording. It's short, just 22 minutes. So I'd love for folks to check it out. And now, meet Pepito. This is my dog, the real life Pepito. Uh, our place in San Francisco didn't allow dogs, so we never were able to get a pet. And then when we moved to LA, we moved to a place that allowed dogs intentionally, but then we were dragging our feet uh, to do it with it. We'd have, we'd have time whenever. And then of course the pandemic hit and we thought, well, we'll never get a dog. And we just applied and got rejected. And then finally someone responded with this dog. Um, I've always had big dogs. Uh, and he looks kind of big. If you think, if you don't see him in context to anything else, his proportions are right in that way, I guess. We showed up and he was like a third the size of what I thought he was. Um, but he's so friendly that we ended up taking him home. And his name was, um, in the shelter was Petrie, which I don't really like that name, but it was close enough to Pepito. So we decided to go with the name of the opera that I wrote. Thank you for listening to For Good Measure and a special thank you to our guest, Nicholas Benavides, for joining us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to our podcast by clicking on the subscribe button and support us by sharing it with your friends, posting about it on social media, and leaving us a rating and a review. To learn more about E4TT, our concert season online and in the Bay Area, or to make a tax-deductible donation, please visit us at www.e4tt.org. This podcast is made possible in part by a grant from the California Arts Council and generous donors like you. Four Good Measures produced by Nanette McGinnis and Ensemble for These Times and designed by Brennan Stokes. With special thanks to audio engineer extraordinaire Stephanie Newman. Remember to keep supporting equity in the arts and tune in next week for Good Measures.